Jesus, we had such a wonderful day yesterday, and we give God the praise and the glory. And um, I was just so encouraged because there was thousands of people around this island tuning in. People contacted me from all parts of the country, uh, you know, Mayo, Donegal, Kerry, uh, you know, all parts of Northern Ireland and around Dublin and, uh, you know, down the south, uh, the southwest, the southeast. The, I mean, it was just such an encouraging thing to see so many people praying. Amen. And, you know, I was struck by how many people actually prayed the whole way through. Because, uh, you know, we were going for about four hours, but, uh, you know, glory to Jesus. Um, so we, we praise God that the Lord is doing something. Amen. And uh, I, I believe God is bringing us back to prayer. Um, and, uh, you know, because one of the things the Lord really just put in my heart was just this realization that um, you know, for many of us who've been frustrated with the churches being closed, but you know, the reality is for a long time we've had our churches open and the hearts of the people have been closed. And so it's more than just seeing physical doors open. We have to see hearts opened. We have to see, um, you, you, you know, spiritual change, which I believe can only come through prayer. Amen. So um, glory to God. Glory to God forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, wherever you're watching from today, I believe the Lord, you're going to be blessed by this message. And uh, maybe just leave it in your comments today where you're watching from. And uh, before I get into the message as well, I promised my wife I'd apologize to uh, Robert and Enoch for, um, you know, they're single. Uh, you know, when you're happily married, you want to drag everybody else down with you. And uh, so I put them on the spot and tried to get them married off right there during the prayer service. So, okay, maybe I crossed the line. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I love, I love those guys. And, um, you know, the offer still stands. Uh, amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And, um, Lord, we just thank you for your word. I want to ask today that you would speak through your word. And we thank you for the opportunity to be able to meet like this online. And we just trust you, Father God, for the end to this virus and all of the terrible things that have been happening, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, for a reopening in our societies in the name of Jesus and for freedom, not just from the virus, but from the virus of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I'm so excited to be talking about the message today, and the title of the message is Back to the Blood. And, uh, you know, this week somebody sent me a video, I'm, I, I, you know, please don't send me any more videos, I'm inundated, I don't have time to watch them because I need to, you know, read my Bible and pray and be there for my wife and my kids and do what I'm called to do, but I was, I was actually watching a video uh, another minister sent me, and it was of the song Amazing Grace, and it was sung uh, by over 50 people in 50 different countries, uh, little clips of different people in, in over 50 countries, Ireland was one of them, but... You know, while I was blessed by the song, uh, I, I was also saddened to see so many city centers all around the world just abandoned. I, I, I thought it was it's such a desolate, just such a de depressing sight, you know, to see all of these beautiful city centers, you know, that are normally bustling and filled with people and uh, just empty, abandoned. You know, truly we've seen a lot of change over the last 12 months. And, um, you know, things that you could never have imagined in anything other than a disaster or an end times movie. And, you know, uh, obviously, while not all of the changes that we've seen are, are, are bad, uh, you know, in that, you know, most of us aren't as busy as we used to have, uh, as we used to were. And, um, you know, many people have been turning to God during this this, this whole time, um, and, and certainly many of us have been seeking God like never before. We're, we're in our second week. We've just completed our second week of our 21-day Daniel fast, and, um, you know, we give God the glory for, you know, that we're drawing close to God, and we're also losing, losing our bellies. So glory to God. This is a win-win. Amen? And uh, so only one more week. <laughs> My wife started crying during the week at one stage. The kids were eating dinner and there was some sausage rolls. She was looking longingly at one. <laughs> okay, she was on the verge of crying. But, um, <laughs> but, but anyway, 
I, I'm not going to tell your secret, sweetie. Um, uh, <laughs> back to the message. Um, so, you know, many of us have been seeking God uh, like never before. And, and, you know, many of us have been greatly challenged during this season of testing. And, you know, it's been very difficult to navigate um, or understand, particularly for those of us that are leaders, are, are, are pastors. And sometimes it's been very difficult to try and ascertain what the appropriate response um, exactly is. And, and, you know, let me be honest, it's been a struggle. But you know what? In the struggle, there has been a sifting. And I believe this is happening right now, that there is a sifting of sorts that is happening because God is both pruning and preparing his bride. And, you know, he will have a glorious church, um, not having spot or wrinkle. Ephesians 5, chapter 25 says, um, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her at the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Amen? So, again, God will have a church without spot or wrinkle, but it is all because of the blood. It's not because that we're going to try and get our lives together and we're going to go on some kind of a religious self-improvement program. It's by the blood and we must remember that. Amen. Uh, Isaiah 48 and verse 10. And it says, see, I've refined you, though not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. Psalm 66 and 10 says, for you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us like, like silver. So again, God is the refiner, amen, and, and sometimes the refiner turns the fire up, and so our habits, our attitudes, our character, um, our emotions, and most importantly, our faith have been tested in the fires of affliction because God is purifying his bride, and we must not be found wanting. You know, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6 uh, and it says, um, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Amen. So there is a, a, a process of preparation for the return of the king. And so in the midst of all that is happening, we must keep our eyes on the Lord and recognize that, you know what, as, as difficult and as challenging as the times may be, God is working in us and on us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And, and you know, all, all we can do is be grateful to God for what he is doing, even seeing what happened yesterday. It's like Anne said to me, she said, you know, this isn't you, this is God. And, and I, I'm, uh, you know, the first one to understand that what's happening right now, just in terms of the body of Christ being mobilized and, you know, what God is doing, I know that is God. I know that's nothing to do with me. And he gets all of the glory. And, and this is why it says, God opposes the problem, gives favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Amen? So we resist him. We, we resist the devil and all of his works. And, and I just say that as well. You may be watching today. You know what? Resist depression. Resist despair. Resist anxiety. Amen? I think it's so important right now that, that you are discerning about what media you're exposing yourself to, whether the mainstream media or a lot of the alternative media, because so much of it is rooted in fear. I mean, you've got one side, one side that are terrified of, of, of the virus and what could happen. The other side are terrified of what they see, uh, you know, in terms of the agendas that, that may be behind it. And, you know, I'm not necessarily denying either. I'm just simply saying that as the church, our focus is on the return of Christ our Savior. Our focus is on preaching the gospel. Our focus is on shining the light. Any, any idiot can point out the darkness. We must be part of shining the light in our generation. In Jesus' name. 
Amen? And so it says, resist the devil. And it says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the, po- the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, God never said that being a believer would exempt you from going through challenging times. But we have the blessed assurance that He is with us in every storm. And in the same way, during this worldwide storm, the church has been going through a process of purification. Dead branches are being broken off during what is at times a painful purification process. As a pastor, I'm under no illusion. Um, you know, I'm not going to be able to work with everybody or not everybody's going to be wor- able to work with me because I understand you can't pour new wine into old wine wineskins. And so, you know, there are those who are determined to live in the past. And, and, you know, praise God for what he did in past moves of God. But this is a new day. And the Bible I read says, forget the former things. Do not consider the things of old. I will do a new thing. You see, God has reserved new wine for these end days. And the Bible says, you know what, that he saves the best wine until last. And therefore, we must be willing to move and, and go with what the Spirit of God is doing in this season in Jesus' name. Amen? So there's a pruning process. Job 23.10. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him, but he knows the way that I take. You may not always know the ways that God is taking, but he knows your ways. And he has the blueprints, he has the map, he has the plan. And therefore, you know what, I don't believe that that, that we need to worry about, you know, what to do or where to go. Or All we need to do is learn to be led by the Spirit of God. Like Job said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. If you're moving right beside me, I might not necessarily recognize it, but you know the way that I take. Hallelujah. That's why we don't have to be afraid about tomorrow. That's why we don't have to be fearful or anxious. He knows the way that we take. He knew about this a year ago. He knew about it a hundred years ago. He knew about it a thousand years ago. Nothing takes God by surprise. And this is why we can put our trust in Him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds it all in His hands. Just like that old song, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. We have a living savior and we can put our trust in him in every season of life. But he knows the way that I take and when he has tested me I shall come forth as gold. The situation over the last year with all of its associated trials and challenges has been changing so quickly that at times uh, many of us, including pastors and leaders, have been discouraged. This, and, uh, you know, uh, not only that, but you know, disorientated even at times. Because literally you're just trying to find your feet and the situation keeps changing. But I also believe in this season where so much is being stripped back and pruned that God is calling us back to the basics. And this is why we're doing this series. Um, You know, the first week we went back to the cross. Last week we went back to the Bible. And this week we're going back to the blood. Because I believe that there is one thing that terrifies the powers of darkness. It's the blood. Let me read this quote by Mike Bickle. We offer our prayers in weakness, but they ascend in power because of the blood of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We offer our prayers in weakness, but they ascend in power because of the blood. See, your prayers aren't powerful because they're long or loud, but because you understand who you are in Christ Jesus. You see, many believers are sadly ignorant of the significance and power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 38. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 
You see, there can be no more important message than the one I'm giving right now because it's the blood, not your brain or your brawn or your bank account. It's not your virtue or your ability that recommends you to God or saves you. No, it's the blood. It's the blood of the Lamb. There is power in the blood of Jesus. You know, uh, Robert Lowry, 1826 to 1899, was a Baptist preacher and hymn writer in the USA. And he wrote these inspired, timeless words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my portion, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Such powerful God-honoring words. And when Lydia sang that this morning, I just sensed the presence of God so strongly. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, there is power in the blood. But I have to ask, if we as the church today have that same laser-like focus on Christ and that same simple vision of glorifying Christ and honoring His blood as we see in this old hymn, Because, you know, I listen to some lyrics from recent years and it makes me wonder where we all went wrong. You know, because some modern songs talk about Jesus like he's your, you know, they talk about him more like he's your boyfriend than that he's your Lord and your Savior. You know, these lyrics like, "I'm, I'm falling in love with you, Jesus. You know, where God gives you a sloppy, wet kiss, as one song goes. You know, somebody once referred to it as, Jesus is my boyfriend worship. And as a guy, it just makes me feel weird. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, you know, our, 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 like the lyrics of the song, you know, Blessed be the Lord, where it says, He gives and He takes away, misrepresenting God as someone who actively seeks to make people suffer. I'm not saying that suffering isn't a part of this life. We will go through suffering like I just read. We will face challenges and trials. But I think it's mischaracterizing and misrepresenting God to try to say that He is the one who is actively looking to make you suffer. That He is the one giving you cancer. That He is the one who is causing people to die young or get ch- cause children to have life deb- debilitating diseases. No, that's a lie from hell. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen? And so, uh, you know, another uh, a song uh, that, uh, that, that says, uh, uh, you know, bottoms up, I drink the cup, I drink you in. I wouldn't mind, it's a beautiful worship song, but that line is just appalling. You know, to use a phrase people use when they're knocking back alcohol. It's just completely inappropriate and disrespectful to God, but it's an indictment of a church that has lost that sense of the sacred, that sense of the holy, that sense of reverence for God. He is not your drinking buddy. He is God. And we need to come back to honoring Him as God. And maybe the reason why the world doesn't recognize or respect the church and what we stand for is because ultimately we have lost that sense of reverence and respect for whom we purport to serve. That's good preaching, Pastor John. I'm not trying to knock worship. I love contemporary worship. You know, I don't, I don't buy into this idea that, you know what, that, that church should, should just look like it's something from the 70s, you know, and that, you know, bad, bad everything, bad sound, bad lights, bad music, bad, you know, that it's, sometimes people try to say worship is a, is a performance, it's just a reflection of the fact that, you know, that they don't do things with excellence. You know, I think you can do things with excellence to glorify God and yet have the right heart as well in the midst of what you're doing. So, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, not tr- I'm, I'm trying to stay on course here, but I think this is important for us to address. I'm not knocking worship. I love contemporary worship, but you know what? We definitely need many of these old hymns because clearly we have lost something sacred along the way and we need to go back. I'm not talking about living in the past, but appreciating and building on it. There's a difference. And you know, one thing this pandemic has done has been to reveal that many of the shallow and worn out uh, approaches to ministry and church growth are defunct, amen? And that many of the old fail-safe approaches failed because they were built on a faulty foundation. Because you see, numerical growth can't be the only measure of success, Um, Because, again, that in itself can become an idol that drives us to compromise truth in order to avoid offending, okay? And so, uh, this is important that we're speaking truth in love. Um, At the same time, I also want to bring balance to that, because when you see preachers who have to bring cameras on themselves and go out in public and act in a belligerent manner and insult everybody, and then when they're arrested, act like they're being persecuted, you know, I don't agree with that, because... uh, you know, we're called to preach good news. We're called to, to reach people. We're not called to try and, you know, disrespect or condemn or demean people uh, deliberately. Um, I, we're just called to go and preach the good news of the gospel. And the, the, the blood of Jesus is central to that message. Okay? Our, our goal must be to honor and obey and glorify God and the blood that he shed at the cross. Charles Spurgeon, atonement by the blood of Jesus is not an arm of Christian truth. It is at the heart of it. Again, atonement by the blood of Jesus is not an arm of Christian truth. It is the heart of it. You see, a church or an individual that loses its revelation of the power of the blood will fall. And you know, some of the recent high-profile failures of ministry, uh, of ministers, whether morally or doctrinally, I believe, demonstrates this. Because, you know, whether it's adultery or heresy, ultimately it's the same spirit. Because one denies God by his actions, the other denies God by his teachings or by his words. Because when you see pastors embracing LGBT and trans agenda, denying hell and judgment, you know, unfaithful to their wives, etc. It's an indictment of where the church is, is going wrong. Because again, charisma, talent, talent, and intelligence will fail you. Amen. We must come back to the blood. Amen. We must come back to that fear of God. Amen. And it's like, the, I read a tweet a few days ago, it really struck me, and it said this, judgment is coming, and if you aren't covered by the blood of Jesus, you don't even know what bad looks like. You see, people right now think things are bad, and they have no understanding of the awful reality that faces them should they die without being washed in the blood of Jesus, should they die without receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen? And so in these dark and uncertain days, the only place of refuge that will be found, I believe, is under the blood of Jesus. But you may ask, well, Pastor John, but why back to the blood? Well, there's a number of things we find in the blood, and the first one is this. Through the blood we find forgiveness. Amen. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Here Peter is preaching um, his first sermon. Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children to all who are far off as many as whom the Lord our God will call. What was the first thing he said? He didn't say, come, you, you know, come try our coffee. He didn't say, you know, come, come see in, uh, uh, how, how good our music is or how comfortable our chairs are. No, he said repent. The gospel starts with repentance. Amen. And uh, it's important because the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Amen. By the message that Peter gave. And it was a simple message. It was repent and your sins will be washed away. Washed away by what? Washed away by the blood. So the blood was absolutely central to what the disciples proclaimed. It's like the old hymn says, There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and there sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all of their guilty stains. 
They lose all of their guilty stains. I believe this is based on what Zechariah chapter 13, 1 and 2 says. And this prophesied 500 years before Christ, what Christ would do. And it says, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the... uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I'll cut off the names of the idols from the land and they shall no longer be remembered. I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. What will cause the unclean spirit to depart from the land? The blood of Jesus Christ. What will it cause the unclean spirit to depart from our hearts and our homes and our churches? The blood of Jesus Christ. It says that there, I will open for you a fount of, for sin and uncleanness. Where was that fount opened? That fount was opened 2,000 years ago on the hill of Calvary where Jesus Christ was crucified on our behalf and where he shed his blood to purchase our soul. Could somebody say thank you Jesus, amen, for the blood of Jesus. You see so many people carry a heavy burden of guilt and shame. You know, how many of us growing up as kids were told, you should be ashamed of yourself, amen? And you know what? Uh, uh, You know, we we had this kind of guilt kind of heaped on us. And, you know, we had people tell us, like I said, you should be ashamed of of yourself. And so we were. We took that upon us. You were just a kid and you were already being trained to embrace shame as a part of your identity. And this is why you've many people who have grown up and shame and inhibition and condemnation and weakness and failure is literally ingrained into their character in terms of how they see the world and how they see themselves. Because it's difficult to love other people when you don't love yourself. Because you cannot love yourself when you're full of shame and guilt and condemnation. You see, guilt, rejection, addiction, dysfunction, many problems and issues, but one answer, the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, there is power in the blood, power to set you free from sin. I don't know what you've done or where you've been or how you have failed, but I do know that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all sin. You know, it was the late Billy Graham who said, Be assured that there is no sin you have ever committed that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse. You see, there is a hope that is only found in the gospel because it's the good news that you can be forgiven no matter how you have failed or what you have done. You see, as humans, we yearn for forgiveness and reconciliation to to literally to turn back time, but we can't. We can't erase the past, but God can. Hallelujah. Through the blood, we can be forgiven. Amen. Through the blood, we can be justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and 1. You know that word justified literally means just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that beautiful that we are just as if I'd? Hallelujah. How many of you believe you're justified? Amen. Because all of us have things in our past that cause us shame. You know, at times the enemy brings up our past, but we need to remind ourselves, you know what? I am just as if I, hallelujah, never sinned. In God's eyes, it never happened because of the blood. You see, we can be forgiven. It's no surprise, therefore, that Billy Graham was successful in leading literally millions of people to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? They found hope through his message. You're not going to find hope on CNN. You're not going to find hope through a political party, be they left, right, middle, or anywhere else. You find hope through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, through the blood that he shed. Hebrews 8 and 12, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Because while humanism says there's no such thing as right and wrong, and legalistic religion says that we must work for our salvation and maybe suffer in the next life for our sin, neither of them can offer us what we desperately long for, forgiveness, cleansing, and a new beginning. But you know what? Where humanism and atheism and psychology and even religion fails, the gospel has the answer. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The way where? The way to the Father. The way to heaven. The way to peace. The way to everlasting life. The way to everlasting joy. Jesus, that way is through the blood. 
Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Colossians 1, 13, 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 9 promises us both forgiveness and cleansing if only we repent. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have forgiveness and we have cleansing through the blood. And this is the good news, not just forgiveness of some, but forgiveness of all. It says cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 9 and 22. In fact, the law law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, forgiveness wasn't possible apart from the blood that Christ shed at the cross. Isn't that beautiful to think about that? The truth is that many of you still struggle with guilt and shame and condemnation because deep down, you still see yourself as a sinner rather than the righteousness of God. And I know much of that is ingrained in preaching. I'm just a a sinner saved by grace. Well, yes, we, we were sinners and we were saved by grace, but you're no longer a sinner. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in Jesus' name. This is the promise that we have in Christ. Let me read this. uh, Brother Yan, how many of you remember Brother Yan, uh, that Chinese believer who suffered so much for his faith? And he said this, I feel so sorry that many Christians live in bondage even though Jesus Christ has signed their release form with his own blood. Isn't that powerful? I don't want to be one of those believers who is living below what God has for him. You see, forgiveness is by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. You know what happens when somebody passes away? We dig a hole and we bury them. Amen. Some of you need to just let go of your past in Jesus' name. Amen. You're a new creature. All things become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself uh, through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. How were we reconciled? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Amen. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of heaven. And it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Just say that to yourself today. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 5, 17. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a gift. Amen? Hallelujah. Righteousness and right standing with God is only by faith in the blood of Jesus. You see, we can only get a true revelation of our right standing with God by understanding what God did through the blood. You see, Leviticus uh, 17 and verse 11, it says... For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul, for it's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. You see, that atonement only came through the covering of blood. And this is why we see in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve hid from God. It says they made fig leaves for themselves and then they hid. You know why they hid? They suddenly realized the fig leaves didn't work. God could see through all of that and they realized that they were sinners. And this is why Genesis 3 shows us that the fig leaves of religion and works clearly doesn't work. And this is why God covered them with the skins of animals. You know what? God covered them with the skins of animals because those animals had to be killed and therefore he was covering them with the blood. And thus he established right there and then in the Garden of Eden the principle of the blood sacrifice. Genesis 4, 4 and 5, um, God accepted, you know, Abel's offering was accepted on the basis of the blood, whereas Cain's was rejected on the basis of works. And let me say this, God will reject you every time when you come on the basis of your works. It's by the blood. It's not, like I said, how loud or how long you pray. It's not on how much you give or how much you serve. You know, they're all good things in their place, but you know what? We come by the blood. Genesis chapter 15, and we see here that God made a covenant with Abraham. 
It says, now when these things came to pass, uh, the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abram said, you know, um, I don't have a child. And um, thank you, Jesus. And uh, um, one not born in my, one, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Um, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So again, what was it? Romans 4 says, Abraham believed God and has accounted to him for righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham, you know, earned anything from God. Abraham simply believed God. And I believe this was symbolic of how, you know, our relationship with God and the blessing of God and the salvation of God would be by faith, not by works. And um, so th th this, this is very, very important. And so we see here that God cuts a covenant um, with Abraham. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldees to give you the land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each side opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said, Abram, no, certainly the earth... Um, descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs um, and will serve them and it will afflict them 400 years and also the nation whom you shall serve I will judge afterwards they will come out with great possessions and you know I think it was uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu referred to anti-semitism as one, as the old, uh, one of the oldest uh, as the oldest hatred um, and you know studying history you realize this that historically the Jews have been persecuted through the ages and I believe like I addressed last week it's because of the word of God the word of God came through the Jewish people God revealed himself to and through the Jewish people and every day I thank God for the Jewish people because I love the Bible and if you love the Bible you will love the Jews you will love the nation of Israel amen and so hallelujah if you want to be offended by that be offended but uh, anyway it says uh, verse 17 it came to pass when the sun came down that behold uh, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between these pieces that's symbolic of the Holy Spirit I believe on the same day uh, you know that the Lord was making this covenant with Abraham on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying your descent to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates the Kenites the etc so here God we see that God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people by covenant and Abraham said how will I know that you're going to give me this land and and God said bring me a sacrifice and so we see the 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 principle of covenant the principle of blood which is uh, is so important and so central to the Christian faith God made a covenant with Abraham and uh, you know this Abrahamic covenant is the basis of both Judaism and Christianity today and it was sealed by circumcision um, Arise, a, a which is still observed by the Jews, um, uh, over four, four think about this, over 4,000 years later, this rite is still observed by the Jewish people. The very day that God told Abram to be circumcised, I'd re I encourage you to read the whole of uh, chapter 17 as well. It talks about this covenant that God made. God changed the name of Abraham to Abraham and um, and Sarai to, to Sarah, and uh, you know God made this covenant, and as a consequence of that covenant, um, you know the the promise, uh, which is Isaac, um, came to him. And so, uh, but think about how committed Abraham was. The very day that God told him uh, that, that all the males had to be circumcised, that day every male in his household, including himself, was circumcised, and that's tremendous commitment. But think of how over four years later the Jews still observe this rite amen and and so there I, I, I believe they truly are an exceptional people God knew what he was doing when he chose the Jewish people and so the principle of substitution was established since the Garden of Eden this principle of the innocent taking the place are suffering on behalf of the guilty we saw it in the law of Moses with the with the lamb uh, you know that the, 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 the sin would be uh, placed upon the lamb or the the 
goat. We, we see it in, in Abraham when he came to Mount Moriah and he was told to offer his son. And instead, a lamb was offered in his place, um, in the place of his son, which I believe was symbolic of how Christ would suffer on our, pla- on, on our behalf. And so all of these things point to a coming redeemer. Like Job said, 19 verse 25, I know that my redeemer lives. Amen? So do you have that conviction, that knowledge deep in your heart that your Redeemer lives, that you're serving a living Savior? And this is why I can't understand, you know, Christians losing their minds right now and getting so anxious and worked up and frustrated. You know what? Hallelujah. Our Savior lives. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And this is the hope that Billy Graham had. This is the hope that Peter and John had. This is the hope that, you know, Catherine Cullman and so many men and women, John Wesley, George Whitfield, etc., Hudson Taylor, all of these men and women had this hope that their Redeemer lived and that when their skin would be destroyed, when their physical body would die, when their life would come to an end, that there was a life after this one. And therefore, because of the blood, they had assurance, not just in life, but also in death. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we thank God uh, for our Redeemer, for the Lamb. We saw the Lamb, like I said, under the Old Testament. The Lamb would, 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 uh, would die, and um, the people would be covered by the blood. But Jesus came as the Lamb who not only covers sin, but the Lamb who takes away sin. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is why we not only discover forgiveness through the blood, we find freedom. Revelation 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Thank God he has freed us from our sins by his blood, the new living. All glory to him who lives and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. You see, only those who have been truly forgiven can know what it means to be truly free. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account or how celebrated you may be or how successful or how influential. You know, at the end of the day, it's utterly meaningless if you do not know freedom through the blood. If you do not know the freedom on the inside, you will never find it through the outside. Amen. And it's the blood of Jesus that proclaims our freedom. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the new living. For we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. You see, our citizenship, our citizenship papers have been stamped in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven, not because I'm perfect, but because he is perfect. I have assurance of this. This is why Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is why he was able to declare in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul was truly free. His past no longer had power to dictate his future. He said, I'm free of the blood of all men, even though he had shed the blood of other men. Why? He understood what the blood of Jesus does. In the same way, we can find freedom from addiction and dysfunction and grief and guilt and shame only because of the blood. You see, baptism is symbolic because just as water frees us, from uh, freeze our physical bodies from filth, so too the blood of Jesus frees our soul from sin and fear and bondage. You see, the enemy has no place in you because of the blood. And when you discover that, he's going to scatter really quick. Hallelujah. Like the Bible says, your enemies will come against you one way. They'll flee from you seven ways. If you understand the power of the blood. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Our focus isn't on the devil. 
I love what Teal Osborne used to say. I don't spend my time focused on trying to get devils out of people. I spend my time getting Jesus into people because when you get Jesus into people, the devil's going to leave. Amen? What is our focus? Thank you, Jesus. Neither give place to the devil. Let me say this. If you've given place to him, it's because you truly don't understand the power that the blood of Jesus Christ has. You might have given place to depression or despair or sinful habit or immoral thoughts. Let me say this. You can be free today in the name of Jesus. You can be free from drugs. You can be free from alcohol. You can be free from fear. You can be free from porn. In the name of Jesus, you can be free through the blood. Because as a pastor, it grieves me to see so many good people who know God, who love God, who know the scriptures. They can sing the songs, but they are bound, and some of them for years. Let me say this. It's time to walk out of your prison of sin and shame in the name of Jesus. Because there is power in the blood and you are a child of the king. Nahum 1.13. For now I will break his yoke from off thee. And I will burst thy bonds in sunder. I love that. That's the King James. The Holman Bible says, For I will now break off his yoke from you and tear off your shackles. Just like Jesus when he said to Lazarus, loose him and let him go. Some of you need to take off the grave clothes of your past. And the way you do it is by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus can loose you from the grave clothes of your past. You see, we find safety and deliverance from the enemy's attacks through the blood. Exodus 12, 13. The blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. You see, we are in a battle. Because the moment you are saved, you are plunged into a battle with the powers of darkness. But Revelation 12 and verse 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Clearly, we will encounter resistance. Satan's name literally means slanderer or resister. Resister. You see, he resists not only God, he resists the people of God. But we overcome him by the blood of Jesus. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, the Bible says. You see, maybe the reason why some of us are living in defeat is because we're not using our most effective weapon, the blood of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, On the back of Satan's neck is a nail-scarred footprint. Hallelujah! Glory to Jesus! Like he said in Revelations 1, I'm he who is dead and live and behold, I'm alive forevermore. You know what he was doing? The equivalent of what they do in the UFC when they lift up that belt. They are the champion. They are the conqueror. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave through the blood. The blood declares your freedom in Jesus' name. Praise God. <laughs> the blood declares victory over the assignments, the temptations, and the traps of the enemy of your soul. Colossians 1 and verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things in earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You see, God purchased peace for us through the blood of his own son. That's why Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Amen. We have freedom from fear and guilt and condemnation. You see, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But let me say this. Don't do the devil's work by condemning yourself and knocking yourself all the time. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. So walk in the light of the world, uh, of the word, not in the light of your feelings or your emotions or what the devil says. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from 
all sin. It doesn't say some. It says all. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Some of you are probably watching say, Pastor John, why do you speak so long? Why do you use so many Bible verses? Well, you know what? It's only once a week, so uh, I'm just going to unload. I'm going to give you what I have, and hallelujah, you do with it what you will. Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Some of you have been listening to the enemy for far too long. You need to use your voice and say in the name of Jesus, get out of here, devil. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. When you're tempted, say, I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind. I plead the blood of Jesus over my marriage. Satan, you have no place in me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Just declare it and say, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed by the blood. Hallelujah. That means you don't belong to the devil. It means you don't belong to depression or despair. You don't belong to addiction or porn or fear. You are free. Believers can make, believers in Jesus Christ can make the astounding declaration that through the precious blood of Jesus, all of our sins have been forgiven and all of our shackles have been broken. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. How many of you are glad that you are free through the blood? But pastor, I don't feel free. I didn't ask you if you feel free. Amen? The word of God says you're free in Jesus' name. 2 Timothy 1.7 But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? We have freedom from fear, and we have a sound mind. When, when others are losing their mind right now through fear, you know, particularly if they're consuming this, this wall-to-wall, consistent, you know, negative news that's just pumping people with fear, you know what? But the Bible says you have a sound mind. We have freedom from fear. We are safe under the blood. You see, the angel of death walked among men, yet the Israelites were free. Why? They were under the blood. You know, Exodus chapter 12 um, uh, talks about this, and uh, just give me five minutes and I'm finished. But Exodus uh, 12 and verse, thank you Jesus, 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Verse 22, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, Dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the house until morning. For the Lord will pass through uh, to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And so here God says, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And, you know, amazingly, here thousands of years later, the Jews still uh, celebrate Passover. Amen. And so here it talks about the hyssop. And the hyssop, you sprinkle the door with the blood. What does the hyssop represent? It represents our confession. When we confess the word of God, when we confess the power of the blood, we're sprinkling it over our lives. Amen. And this is why it's so important that we apply and we learn to plead the blood. You know, older generations knew what it was to plead the blood uh, of, of Jesus. We need to learn to apply the blood to our children, our families, because there is a realm of protection and favor that we will only experience under the blood. We are safe from the attacks and the traps of the enemy. We are safe but not exempt, okay? As a believer, you're not exempt unless you're pleading the blood. But when you plead the blood, you are safe from the attacks of the enemy. He can't touch you. So learn to plead the blood over your mind, your marriage, your kids, your finances. Amen. The blood covers your mind. Remember, Christ literally bled from his forehead in the Garden of Gethsemane to purchase peace for your mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Do you think the mind of Christ is anxious? Do you think God is in heaven saying, oh, what are we going to do about this virus? Or what are we going to do about this vaccine? Or what are we going to do about, no. The Bible says God sits in the heavens and he laughs. You have the mind of Christ. Jesus was never perturbed. He was never anxious. He was never frustrated. He was always at peace. And we need to walk in peace, even in the midst of the storms of life. So through the blood, we find forgiveness. We find freedom. Just give me two minutes and I'm finished. We find faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, we have assurance and confidence that all is well 
because we have faith in the blood. Therefore, like I said, we can face life and even face death with faith and not fear. Why did so many of the early Christians give their lives in the, gladi you know, in the gladiator arenas and so many other avenues where they laid their lives down? They had confidence. They had assurance. They had faith. And their faith was not in their goodness. Their faith was in the blood. Amen? And this is why our confidence must be in the, in the, in the blood, not in the flesh. Philippians 3.3 for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. I know some people are watching saying, I can't believe you're talking this long, Pastor John. Well, let me tell you something. You don't make the rules. And neither does somebody who, reads a book, who writes a book and tells you sermons should be 15 or 20 minutes long. The reason why the church is in the mess it's in is because we have been speed reading through the eternal truths of God. And we have dumbed down this message to the point where many people consider themselves to be Christians who are probably not even born again. I feel that pressure sometimes. Once we pass 40 minutes, you need to stop. You know, we're going to consider these tr tremendous truths for eternity. And yet, Christians who sit through a three-hour movie and they can't sit in church for a 40 or 50-minute sermon. Hallelujah. So if that was for you, if the shoe fits, hallelujah. If not, glory to God. Let's keep moving. I'm going to finish, but <laughs> maybe I'm just tired from yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> hey, don't tell me the church after COVID is going to be the same as the church before. I'm not going to accept that. No way. No way. People walking halfway through a, a, a service just because they couldn't get out of bed? No. People are going to come early. People are going to come prayed up. People are going to come hungry. Hallelujah. You see, Apostle Paul uses the phrase, the circumcision, as a metaphor of sorts for the Old Testament law. You see, religion says, try harder. But the gospel calls us to approach God by a very different path. Instead of legalistic religion that makes empty promises based on the faulty concept of performance-based blessings, we come to God by simple faith in the blood and not on the basis of our works. In every season, we must choose faith and not fear. The blood gives us boldness to approach God's holy presence, having therefore boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 10. Because of the blood, we have confidence and assurance in approaching God, because clearly we are far from perfect, but in God's eyes we are righteous, holy, and accepted. And therefore we can come boldly before God's glorious throne of grace, Charles Spurgeon. The streaming wounds of Jesus are our sure guarantees for answered prayer. What is the assurance for answered prayer? It's not sincerity. It's not religiosity. It's not sacrifice. It's the blood. We have a blessed assurance, a basis upon which we know that our prayers will be answered, and that assurance is the blood. The blood gives us access to the holy throne of God. I may fall short in many areas of my life. My wife be the first one to acknowledge that, um, but I know this. I know God doesn't answer my prayers because I'm perfect. He answers them because he's perfect. There's a difference. His blood gives us access to all areas. Hebrews 9 and verse 7. But on to the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin, committed in ignorance. But you might say, Pastor, I prayed five hours, not without blood. But I'm fasting, not without blood. But I screamed at the devil all night, not without blood. It says here, the priest went not without blood. Our faith isn't in the good things we do, but in the blood that he shed. You see, the blood is the only answer. And as the old song goes, it will never lose its power. Because the gospel isn't about being good. Or let me say this. The gospel isn't simply about being good. It's about being right. And you can never be right with God, no matter how many rituals you undergo, or how many good works you do, or how many sacrifices you make, without the cleansing power of his blood. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Morality may keep you out of jail, 
but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. If you heard nothing else today, hear that. Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. And maybe part of the problem with Ireland right now, I know there's a lot of outrage of the mother and baby's homes as the worship group come. I appreciate there's a lot of hurt, a lot of resentment, a lot of frustration. But I sometimes wonder if we in Ireland had known a God of love, if we had been given the truth of the gospel that it's by the blood, not by religion, not by ritual, that if people understood the grace of God and the price he paid, if we had been given you know, the reality of the blood as opposed to simply being presented with a moral framework, I'm not saying the moral framework was, was wrong, I'm just simply saying there's something deeper and, and maybe this nation wouldn't be in the mess that it's in. Because clearly, some of those harrowing stories demonstrate the fact that you can have religion coming out of your ears and you can be full of the devil. You can be doing the devil's work and yet be full of religion. Because don't tell me that those people who did those terrible things were serving God. They weren't. They were serving the devil. You see, our faith and our confidence is in the blood. Our faith and our confidence is in the blood and only in the blood. And you know, I want to finish today by just breaking bread together. I know I've spoken a little longer than normal, but I believe it's a subject that deserves adequate time. As the church, we need to come back to respecting the Spirit of God. I didn't plan to speak this long today, but I know that this subject is most worthy of our attention because it is the truth and ultimately it is the truth that will define whether you will spend your life in heaven your eternal life in heaven or whether you will spend eternity in hell you see we have a covenant that was ratified in the blood of Jesus Christ Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 and I want to read it here in the Amplified if we could uh, give out the elements thank you Lord so much Thank you. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 now as they were eating Jesus took bread and praising God gave thanks and asked him to bless it to their use and when he had broken it he gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body so as we take up the bread today let's remind ourselves Jesus' body was broken that our bodies could be made whole. By his wounds, we were healed. Healing is ours because Christ purchased it at the cross. And so, Lord, we take of the bread and we just declare, Lord, that COVID will not come near us. No pandemic has power over a believer. We declare that, Lord, that we are redeemed. From, and I know that people are going to take that out of context and say, oh, I, I, we believe healing belongs to us. I know a friend of mine, Pastor Sergio, has been very sick. I'm not saying that somebody can't get it. You know, that if somebody gets sick, it doesn't it means they don't have faith. But I am saying that we have a promise of divine health in the Word of God. We have a promise that Jesus bore our sicknesses on the cross so that we could be well. And so as we take of the bread, we remind ourselves, Lord, we have a covenant of health and wholeness. Let declare healing and wholeness over Pastor Sergio in Jesus' name. Amen. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins this is the blood of the new covenant you see we don't live under the old covenant we don't live under the the law we've been redeemed we've been liberated by the blood of Jesus and this is why, like I said, so many believers still live under guilt and a, a works performance mentality. 
You know, they, they never feel quite forgiven. They never feel like they've done enough. They never feel like God will answer their prayers. So they always have to have somebody else pray for them. But when you understand your righteousness, when you understand that Jesus shed his blood to purchase your soul and that God hears your prayers, not because you are perfect, but because he is and because his blood has bestowed upon you a perfect righteousness. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so as we drink of the cup today, let's just remind ourselves that Jesus shed his blood to forgive us from every sin, to cleanse us from every iniquity, to break every chain of bondage. And so as we drink of this cup, there are those of you who may be abound by something today. We declare that you are free in the name of Jesus. And that freedom was purchased through the blood. And so, Lord, as we take of the cup, we repent of every sin, any area where we've fallen short, and we thank you for the cleansing, delivering, healing power of your blood, and we receive it, and we do this in remembrance of you, in Jesus' precious name. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Our faith and our confidence is in the blood. So you can have assurance, not only in life, but also in death. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus tasted death for every man. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you don't have that assurance that heaven is your home and Jesus is your Lord, you can do so today. You can surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You can be cleansed from your sin. You can be set free. You can be forgiven. The Lord knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. But He shed His blood to cleanse you. So today, if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Savior, just pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a perfect life, and that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my life, Lord Jesus Christ, and forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen.